evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Raising Bulls, brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network, Golden Gold Press, and Roughneck Scarves. We are the only podcast dedicated to the New York Red Bulls 2 of USL, or the USL Championship. I I tend to say championship, but I think I, I get tripped up on it sometimes. Tonight, we got a lot to talk about. <laughs> a huge win uh, midweek. A bigger scoreline win on the weekend for for the Montclair Miners, the Baby Bulls. We've got a little bit of news about a certain defender we've been waiting to see for quite a while. Uh, and then two fantastic interviews, one with Jean-Christophe Kofi and one with returning guest Chris Lemma. I got to uh, ask him, obviously, about the dance question. We have new entrants uh, into uh, the worst dance uh, competition for the season the Derek Etienne award as it were then we're going to follow that up with a little talk about uh, the match this coming week against Memphis and an article from The Athletic and USL News in general joining me tonight it's Mr. Joe Steen hello Joe how are you good Joe uh, two back-to-back wins uh, one impressive comeback and one um utter beatdown of uh, a team this weekend. So uh, pretty impressive wins. They're back up to second, and uh, hopefully they can get a result this weekend. I'll tell you what, that the win midweek, and we'll talk about it obviously in detail coming up, um, but as, as a writer writing the recap of that match, I was ready to pull my hair out. I wrote it first as a loss uh, <laughs> with 15 minutes left in the game, you know, as I am want to do. Uh, then had to write it as a draw, <laughs> and finally is a win. So that was fun. Had a good time there. Uh, <laughs> at least that's only a couple of paragraphs, right? Um, but yeah, yeah, all right. Let's let's jump into that match. Uh, Tom Barlow back with the the two team. First time in a very long time. We're expecting big things right out of the gate. He scores. Uh, let's see. That was what seven minutes into the match. No, fifteen minutes in. Uh, it looks like the Red Bulls are going to cruise. They are completely uh, owning Bethlehem Steel through those those first fifteen minutes. They let a goal in uh, on the on the counter. All right, not great. They let one in seventeen. No, I think it was more than that. Whatever. They let it in a minute 20, into the next half. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, yeah. It was ridiculous. Uh, Issa Ryan uh, scored the first of his two goals. Uh, moments into the second half. He picks up another one in the 58th minute, then immediately throws up all over the field. (laughs) One of the weirdest (laughs) things you've ever seen. He stays on for uh, a couple more minutes after that. Uh, Maybe about 10 minutes, 12 minutes. He comes out, and then all of a sudden, like Beth Steele had been cursed, uh, Jared Stroud and Tom Barlow put a hurtin' on Beth Steele in the final 15 minutes. Huge comeback win. I think story of the match is obviously, uh, you know, Tom Barlow and Jared Stroud. Low key, though, I think John Tolkien coming in is what changes that match. And the way that they the team uh, responded uh, following that was just fantastic. Yeah, I mean, he was, in, I mean, you, it's hard to believe that he was only 17 years old. And I mean, John spoke really highly of him after the game. Uh, he was great coming on. I, I think, I think he was just, you know, like you said, it was such a big impact for him to come on. He made a great impact assisted on Stroud's or on Bar- uh, one of Barlow's goals. 
Uh, and Tom Barlow, I mean, we all see why he got a first-team contract this year. I mean, he comes, <laughs> plays one game, he was one game back with Red Bull 2, and he scores two goals and grabs an assist on Jared's winner. So, I mean, you know, Tom's just been great all season, you know, for Red Bulls 2 that he's been there, and he's done such a good job up at the first team. Of course, we all know how, uh, what a important player Jared Stroud is, uh, you know, sets up one of Barlow's goals, gets the winner, um, or sorry, scores, scores two goals in this game, gets the winner, uh, off a great assist from top from Barlow. And I mean, it was weird how they lost control of this game early on in the second half of kind of a defensive lapse. I thought when Alan Giannis came on, I thought he did for Preston kill one. I thought he did a good job at center back, which we really haven't seen him play too much of. Um, and I, I, I got to give credit to uh, John Wolniak for making some changes, and this team got back on track in a hurry, and they were able to get out of there with a victory. Yeah, our, you touched on pretty much all of the talking points that I wanted to, to bring up in this match. Uh, Giannis, as a center back, looked capable, and far more capable than he has looked on the right or left this season. And that you know that brings up a really interesting point, is should they think about switching him to a center back position because it's it's clearly not working on the wings, and if he can provide uh, sort of a different look, if if things are going poorly there and just someone who can distribute out of the back, it might not be a bad thing to have him back there. I don't think so. Uh, I guess it's going to depend on if the first team maybe signs uh, one of the one of the outside backs uh, mm-hmm. in 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 the coming weeks. But uh, I, I think he's low on, lower on the depth chart. I think Giannis Luba, again, he uh, assisted on Jared's goal. Uh, I, I think uh, Reese Buckmaster's definitely ahead of him. I think Eduardo Rito's ahead of him. And John Tolkien now is put in, I mean, as we'll talk about, uh, two really good shifts since he's made a start. So, I mean, he's. I guess it's better to put him in a position that, maybe they didn't realize he was comfortable in. I mean, he looked comfortable enough when he came in. And, I mean, this team is kind of hurting for center back depth. Uh, if if um, uh, his name escapes me right now. Oh, man. If Preston? Sean Neely, oh, Sean. If, okay. If, if, Sean, if Sean's with the first team, they're kind of hurting for center back depth. So, I mean, why not? Uh, if he looked good enough in the game and so they frustrated them for the last 20 minutes. And, I mean, if... I mean, the team's hurting for center back depth, so I'm. Why not try him out there? I mean, if if you need depth, he's you know he's available for the position now, and I think he looked comfortable enough there. Yep, I fully agree. Tom Barlow, what a week for him! Yes, the Red Bulls lost last night, but that's his third goal in a week uh, and an assist. Congrats, Tom! Fantastic job. Uh, Issa Ryan throwing up. Do you think one of the Red Bulls put a hex on him? Is that what we saw there? I tried to get. <laughs> A comment from Evan Villela after the match, like, what the heck was that? What's going on? He had no idea. So what do you think? Did uh, did the Red Bulls hex Issa Ryan and then uh, take control of the match? They did. They did a pretty good job of it. I've never. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Uh, I've, I've actually never seen... I Who? said I've never really seen... Oh. I keep trying to talk. Uh, I've never I'm really... Sorry. No, it's, no, it's fine. <laughs> Uh, I've never, I've never really seen something like that happen before, and uh, I mean, I, I guess, I guess it worked. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Bethlehem's kind of been a, uh, been hexing uh, Red Bull Two for a while now, so I mean, maybe it's good that the tables turned. 
Yeah, they finally got him back for all of the the vexing. I would say instead <laughs> of the hexing, they were vexing. Um, vexing, yeah. Who on the Red Bulls is most likely the magic user? If you had to pick one of the players, uh, who you know was maybe uh, part magic user, maybe they attended Hogwarts as a youngin. Uh, who would that be? <laughs> um, huh. That's 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 tough. Um, jeez. Um, mm. I'm gonna go with Janusz Luba. I'm I'm gonna say him. <laughs> okay, I think that's fair. Um, I would say I'm gonna say it's could it's be Janusz because. Kind of happened. Kind of happened after he came <laughs> that's, on. That's so. true. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it to Tom Barlow though, because uh, there's got to be something supernatural happening there. His speed, his ability to find the net, it's it's just not natural. <laughs> uh, okay. True. This is true. If you had to give a man of the match for that one, who are you giving it to? Um. Uh, there's three guys I'm really thinking of. Okay. Uh, um, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Tom, but I'm, I, I want to give a shout to, I'm just proving why, you know, why he got a first team contract, two more goals. He's got 10 on the year in USL, and I think he's only played seven games. So that's pretty incredible. Yeah, I think uh, absolutely Tom Barlow is deserving of it. Just to be different, I'm going to give it to Jared Stroud. It was his birthday, after all. I think he turned 23, which, when I say that, it makes me feel so old. Young Jared Stroud turning 23. He's in his second year. He's the all-time leader for assists for Red Bulls, too. Uh, Yeah, I'll, I'll give it to him. He had a good match. Now we're going to turn our attention to a uh, different kind of big win, one that came on the weekend. I was unable to attend this match. Uh, and of course, without me being there, the Red Bulls drop eight, count them, eight goals on Atlanta United 2, which is not as uh, nice to say as uh, New York Red Bulls 2. I don't know why. I just prefer it better. It all started in the 19th minute. Chris Lemma finally getting on the board. I don't think that's his first goal of the year, uh, but certainly it's nice to see him score. I uh, You'll hear later on, I tease him about how many times he's hit the post this season. Uh, Jared Stroud sends in the ball. Two minutes later, Jared Stroud gets on the, bo- uh, on the board. Then Sean Nealis a minute later. So within three minutes, they've got three goals <laughs> and things got out of hand fast after that. Uh, Jared Stroud, again, before the end of the first half, adds a fourth. They weren't done scoring. Chris Lemma gets three more in the second half. Uh, Marcus Epps also takes a a penalty kick goal. And uh, yes, they do give one up, but they also draw a red card in the match. Uh, This was just a dominating performance from the Red Bulls, too. And... You know, I, I know it's hard to, to really get excited about beating a team like Atlanta United 2 that is, you know, bottom of the table, not really performing all that well. They lost their best goal scorer to their MLS side. Uh, so it's not the, the most challenging match, but when they put a hurting on a team like this, it certainly makes, I think, everyone take notice. 
Yeah, and they did basically what they did last year to them, which they just came out. They knew they were the better team They from, from minute one, and they looked it. Uh, Atlanta had some, I mean, some chances early on, but once the first goal went in, that pretty much signaled the end. Uh, Got to give it to uh, Chris Lemma. Uh, he quadrupled, I think, his goal output. I think he had one. Now he has five season. So um, he had a really good game. Pretty much everybody did. John Tolkien, uh, there's a, with him against Andrew Carlton, there's a nice little gif of him um, basically making Carlton fall down. Uh, yeah, this was a just, I, I, I don't know how to put it any other way than they destroyed them. Uh, <laughs> this wasn't close. Uh, and it was great to see um, Jared make a, uh, have another big impact on this game. John Tolkien had a really good game. Uh, Chris Lemma had a good game. Pretty much everybody had a good game. Uh, and they really sent a message to the league. They moved up to second place. They're only now three points off of Tampa Bay. Uh, Indy 11 does have a couple games in hand. But you're supposed to beat these kind of teams. And this was, I think, the most complete performance they put on put forward on the season, I would say. When you look at uh, Tom Barlow's week, obviously he's not playing in this game. But uh, just talking about that he scored two added an assist at Beth Steele, scores another one last night uh, for the Red Bulls at Toronto. He's got three goals and an assist, and that's not even the best performance of the week from these guys. <laughs> Chris Lemo with four goals, Jared Stroud with four goals and assists last week. It just, when things are going well for this team, they are going very well this season. When they hit the skids, I, it's not catastrophic like years past. It can be bad, I think, at times, but... It, uh, so many strong performances across the board. It's really hard to single any one out. Um, but with the way that, that Lemma played in that advanced sort of 10 role for him and picking up all of these sort of loose balls around the box and uh, essentially it, it, it's almost like acting like a six in terms of, of uh, regaining possession and hoovering up the ball, as it were. But then to then turn them into goals, it was something that we're not used to necessarily seeing from him, and it was a, a welcome change of pace. Yeah, I thought he was. I thought on the day he was great, uh, and I really thought he put a. Uh, he's put a lot of good shifts in this year, Lemma, and I think he's been unlucky. Uh, and it was really good to see uh, him grab a lot, a good amount of goals, and just continue to develop. Um, and to hopefully a midfielder that could be with the first team. The other thing that I want to talk about from this match, we don't get a lot of it, uh, obviously. So when you look at the back line and it's a little bit different from weeks past, Nielsen Kil- Kilween, Kilwine, I always say Kilween, it's Kilwine. Come on. He's been on the show, Joe. Get it together. Uh, Nielus and Kilwine together, I thought were a pretty good pairing. They're certainly intimidating in terms of just pure size. Um, I was looking at the match photo <laughs> that, that they're together. Uh, Kilwine is on his tippy toes, so he looks taller than uh, Sean Nealis. But at first, I thought he was, which I did not realize. Uh, but the two of them are like twin towers back there. Uh, you don't see that a ton with this team. But I thought that they, they handled everything really well. They weren't necessarily challenged a lot. Uh, but what did come their way, they, they dealt with, I thought, pretty well it's nice seeing tolkien and buckmaster two guys who uh can defend very well and move forward well i thought they they added a lot to the attack 
And Zayats continues to be, I think, a revelation this year with the way that he's played. Uh, I think of a few matches where, you know, overall his performance wasn't great when he first came on, but he's been probably one of the most consistent players on the team uh, since he scored that first goal. He's he's looked very comfortable and done very well. Yeah, I think it was more of, you know, just getting consistent game time with him. I mean, he had a tough time breaking into the squad with Lemma and Kofi in there. And then when Kofi had his, um, his in, you know, his injuries, uh, he was able to break in. I don't really think he, you know, has any intention of relinquishing that spot. I think he's put in a lot of good shifts. And uh, he's been a big revelation. And as far as uh, Kilwine and Nilas go, the, the two of them aren't the fastest, but they do, they are physical and they... I thought positioning, they played very well in this game, even though they weren't really challenged. Obviously, you've mentioned Killwine's uh, uh, ability to he he looks to he looks to make that that pass to break the line really quickly, and you know it's something that you know uh, young players don't try often, but you know he has the confidence to do it even even when it's not coming off for him. So I, I really uh, the the lineup they put out and the the result they got, I think was was great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, across the board, a lot of really great stuff. I think it's funny, they scored eight goals in this match. And if you were to look at that and look at the lineup and see Jorgensen in there and think, okay, he doesn't score in this match, there's something really wrong, uh, would be misguided. I think the way that he played and the runs that he made opened up a lot of space for the guys around him. And it was a very selfless type of performance. That again, it's not going to turn any heads because you look and he doesn't score a goal in this match, doesn't have an assist mm-hmm. in this match, but he was a very important cog uh, and a big part of how they were able to find so much space in the box for a lot of the match. Yeah, uh, we, we've talked about Jorgensen, and I, I think he continues to get better. Um, even though, you know, and again, we, we've talked about this. He, he does score goals, but sometimes as, as a forward, it, what you do off the ball is just as important as scoring goals. And I thought he, for the most part, did a, did a pretty good job in this game. Yep. Fully agree. Okay, let's get a man of the match for this one. Uh, it's got to be Chris Lama. He has four goals in this game. I, he played very well. So I, I, I got to give it to Chris Lama. Yep, agree. Chris Lama guest tonight you're i didn't just give it to you because you're a guest tonight okay chris <laughs> i know what you're thinking uh <laughs> but you did you had a good match had a good week gotta say um okay some some news real quick roy boatang is back training that is an amazing sign the staff uh didn't think that he would be back so soon i think you know some projections thought uh, that it would be later in the year and maybe he would get back for the for the playoffs if they were lucky uh but most likely not not see any time this year and he has exceeded all expectations and gotten himself back on the field in july so that's incredible and hopefully that means he can get himself back up to speed and we can see him get some time uh, during the end of the season where you know depth can be problematic especially with players you know moving up and down with the first team if anyone gets injured it would be very good to have additional center back help yeah uh we, we talked we touched on it earlier with Giannis playing there i mean you can't have an you can this team in previous years hasn't had the depth especially when games get congested down the stretch and i 
think they have a couple makeup games to do now as well. So hopefully, you know, he's healthy and they can use him going forward. And let's not forget that Roy was a player that the Red Bulls were really excited about getting. When we looked at the defenders coming into the season, he was a guy that I think a lot of guys uh, were, well, a lot of fans, not guys, were um, earmarking and, and keeping tabs on where he would end up being. Injured early, a little bit unfortunate, uh, but hopefully we get to see some of what uh, made him stand out uh, to Dennis Hamlet and the Red Bulls. Yeah, um, y- you touched on it. Definitely one of the guys they were looking forward to. Uh, I think he's going to have to now work his way into uh, the team, but uh, I-, I definitely am interested to see what he brings. Yeah, should be good. Uh, Alan Giannis, he's going to be heading uh, to with Guatemala, the U23s, to play Costa Rica. Uh, or maybe they did that already. I don't think they did already. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, let's look it up. I'm I'm really bad at preparing of late. Okay, no, they played yesterday. They have another <laughs> match coming up on the 21st. They lost three nothing in that match. Uh, I don't have a squad to tell you whether or not he played or, or saw time. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm blowing it, guys. Let's see. Uh, might be able to get something from one of these guys. Nope. That is super duper old. Okay. If you click on the Guatemala U23 team on um, ESPN, it goes to page not found. Good job. <laughs> Good job, ESPN. Uh, but so they lost 3 nothing in that match. They do play again uh, the 21st, which is Saturday. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Nope, Sunday. They play on Sunday for the second leg. They're down 3 nothing. It's going to be a, a big hill to climb. Uh, that's for Olympic qualifying, by the way. Okay, we're going to take a break now. And when we come back, first you're going to hear my interview with Jean-Christophe Kofi, and then uh, my interview with Chris Lemma. Double interview week, people. It's very exciting. So okay. stick around. And we're back. This is a big show this week. And joining me first, we've got a first-year New York Red Bulls midfielder and so far the only uh, DC uh, crossover player. It's Jean-Christophe Kofi. How are you? I'm good, Joe. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for coming on. No problem. So uh, kind of a, a weird situation with you because you had your homegrown rights transferred to the Red Bulls. Uh, yeah, I I don't think that we've really seen much of that in the league so far. There's a couple players uh, that you know come to mind, but you're sort of a uh-huh. unique situation. When did you find out that the Red Bulls were interested, and in, you know maybe what was the genesis of that move? Um, so after my my spring semester of my third year, I I was looking to to make that move to the next level, and um. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to if I wanted to go to Europe or or start here and then later move on. And I signed with the agent, which was James Grant, La Yorks, and um, and he started like working for me, like 
um, he started like asking around to clubs because my college coach told me that a couple MLS clubs were interested, and um, but I wanted to go away from 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 uh, from DC. I don't. I just felt like I've been there for too long, and I wanted to go away. Um, DC was interested in signing me, but um, I just didn't think that it was the right move for me in terms of my my development as a player. And um, and I also know Derek Etienne, which we we both played at UVA together, and um, and I I was talking to him too about um, the league and how. And, and what team would fit me best in terms of like being a young player and and prog- progressing and he he helped me a lot with that too and he told me that Red Bull is a great environment great training ground and um, and I'm gonna get better every day every time I step on the field so New York Red Bull can um, play DC United I think in that summer. Mm-hmm. Last year, and um, and they asked my agent to they want they asked to meet me in the in DC. So I went and met with them, and I and they told me that they were interested, and um, and they asked me a couple hard questions. They were like, "Are you ready to to be a pro? Like, are you ready to 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 make that move to the next step? Because we're really interested, but." You gotta be like when you come to an environment. It's a serious environment, and you gotta give your hundred percent out every day. There's no you. You have no more classes. All you have to do is focus on 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 soccer. And I was I said yes to all those questions. And from then, it was just a matter of getting the deal done with DC, and um, and getting my rights traded to New York. During that interview process, because I think you're the first person to really you know talk about that in any detail. What was what was really going through your head at that point? Because I can imagine as a young guy, you know, it's definitely exciting to be looking at that next step. But there's got to be some amount of um, uh, maybe uh, maybe nervousness isn't necessarily the right word, but you know maybe butterflies around the idea of yeah. you know really taking that plunge. Yeah, it was actually really stressful during that period because um I like I wasn't entering the draft or anything. It was just like a decision that me and my family made. So it was like kinda out of the blue. So like I don't think clubs were kinda prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Um so during that time it was very stressful because D C also really wanted me because I was one of their top um prospect academy prospect and they wanted to sign me at the end of my my last fall season and um and i told them that like i, I don't want to wait and i i wasn't i was ready to to make that move to the next step so then they said that okay we'll we'll offer you something now and um and i talked to my agent too and he he decided that he he told me that the best fit for me would be New York Red Bulls, the, their style of play and like and the type of player that I am. 
would be the best fit for me. So yeah, and so that in that period it was very complicated because DC was fighting hard to get me to make me stay, and, uh, and New York was also pushing to get me. But I've made my I already had my mind up about coming to New York. Well, and I think you know, just in terms of track record of young guys uh, having opportunities, I would imagine that New York would become a more attractive uh, destination. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you mentioned that you were looking at sort of, um, you know, spreading your wings a little bit in terms of yeah. getting out of the D.C. area, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, of course. I so, wanted to get out. Mm-hmm. So coming into New York, you did. Yeah, you said that you knew Derek, but, you know. What was the, what was that experience like? I'm I'm sure that it was uh, a little bit hectic at first because you know the the work that they expect out of the players is very high level. Yeah, so I my I la- my last college game that I played was in I think March of the of last year, and I picked up a like a little hip injury. So I stopped, I stopped practicing and training and all that and for like a month or two. And then I got back to running. And then I signed in like September. So during the whole period of time, I didn't have, I didn't have like proper training or, so it was really, really, really hard. Yeah. Coming into the first team and start practicing right away. It was, it was a really humbling experience to be honest because um you you just you don't actually know how 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 the level is until you're actually on the field and um and it was very a humbling experience for me to come in and start working every day, but it was very hard to adjust i would say. But I would imagine, you know, coming in at the end of last season made it a little bit easier uh, getting up to mm-hmm. speed for this year with the with the team. Yeah. Yeah. So I was when I came in, I couldn't play games. So because of my visa status, mm-hmm. um, I came in. I came in the United States as a as a diplomat on the diplomatic visa because of my dad and. Um, and that that I couldn't I couldn't um I couldn't play any games because I was under that status. So I had to change my status and that took a while. That took at least like the whole for the like I signed in September, it took like four months. I didn't get until like early January. So I was just practicing and learning the system and getting fit. I couldn't get game fit because I couldn't play any right. game. So, were um, you were you nervous at all that uh, maybe that would not go through, the changing your status for your visa? Um, it was just a, it was just about finding time, right? To uh, to to go all the way because I had to go all the way to Ivory Coast, Abidjan, to apply for that visa, and right after the season, um. They they made the arrangement and I went and I got it. It was it was simple. It was very easy. And that's where you grew up in the Ivory Coast. W- yeah. When did you come to the U.S.? When I was eleven in two thousand nine. 
And that was part of, uh, you mentioned something about your father? Yeah, so my dad works for the Embassy of Ivory Coast. Ah, okay. Financial counselor over there in so, D.C. So is did you start playing before you got here, or did you start yeah. in the Ivory Coast? So I, I played, I, I started playing soccer, like, my whole life. I used to play in Ivory Coast all the time, but I've never been part of it actual team until I moved to this United States. I was just playing for fun until when I got here. And when did you end up on DC's radar? So I was playing for a club team in Virginia named Tab Barca at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I played there for a year and a half. And then it was like a travel team. And then... Um, one of the kids on the on the on the team, mom. I mean, one of the kids on the team was from Ivory Coast, so his mom knew my parents, and um, and they were telling me about um, that his mom really liked me. She thought I was a great player, so and she, she wanted her son to go to DC United, and um, and she told my parents about it, and she told the coaches about it, and they were like, "Yeah, we already." We ha- we had our eyes on him, um, so have him come and train with us and uh, see how it goes. So when I went, I went for the first time and I I really liked the environment. As a kid, like that, never really been part of it like a real club before. Right. Seeing all those the training facility and like how everything was there. It really like got me really excited, and I decided to make the move there when I was fourteen. At that point, did you start to have those dreams that maybe this is going to be a profession? Yeah, so I've always wanted to be a, a pro. Like since I was a kid, that's that's all I talk about to my parents. My parents always ask me, "What do you want? Like, what do you want to study? What do you want to do?" And I I never had an answer because right, I only saw my as a professional soccer player. What was their response to that? They they were like, okay, you can do that after you finish it. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Who were some of the so, uh, the players that you were looking up to that uh, maybe helped, uh, I guess, foster uh, that dream? Um, at the time, Yaya Torre was very, very, very... Um, Dominant in the Premier League. Yeah. So I really like him. And he is from Ivory Coast, too. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, Yara Tour was probably the guy. That's, but a, I used to, that's a pretty I good role model. Play, I used to play center forward when I was younger. That's that's the, the footballer story. I ever, I've, Everybody I've ever talked to, uh, well, maybe not everybody, but I would say probably about 90% of the people I've talked to started out as center forwards and then yeah. uh, slowly drifted to other positions of need. Is that kind of what happened with you after a while? You know, yeah. They were looking for uh, for other midfielders and you had to drop back? So I started playing center. I mean, I've always played forward. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, my U16 year, I started playing the 10 for the U16. And then when I moved to college, we were playing like a 4-4-2, um, 4-4-2 with like a, like a, 
like a drop forward, like a false nine. Mm-hmm. So I was playing that. And then my second year of college, um, one of my one of my teammates, I don't know if you know him, Edward Opoku, he signed uh-huh, for of course. Columbus Crew. Yeah. So he told me he was he told me he said, Bro, I think you you'll be a really good six. You should try it. And I was like, Really? <laughs> <laughs> I've never played that before. So then I had a conversation with the coaching staff with Terry Boss at U V at the time. Um and he said, yeah, we've actually been thinking about it. And then um, I think second preseason game, I didn't even start that game. They they put me in at halftime as a six. And ever since, I never looked back, just played that position every game, every minute. Does it feel more natural to, to be there in the six, dropping yes. back? Yeah. Yeah. I like. Because I like to be, I, like I can score. I like to be on the ball at all times. Yeah, that's true. And um, and create. So, I feel like, and at the six uh, at UVA, we played the three back, which, um, and like a lot of the ball was like our build up was coming through me, and I really loved that. So, more people see me as like a higher player, like a like an eight more like a 10 because I can shoot from distance mm-hmm. and stuff. But right now I'm just trying to learn more of, of the position because it's a very complex position. Yeah. Yeah. It sure. Is. And certainly in a team like the Red Bulls, it is. Uh, what's, what is your sort of, you know, takeaway so far from this season and what are your expectations for the rest of it? Um, I think we started the season really well. Um, and I feel like the coaches want to see, I mean, the first team coaches want to see that they can trust me on the field because I didn't, they didn't really see me play games until this, this year. Mm-hmm. So, and they, they, they're always talking to me. They're always teaching me and telling me things that I should do and, and not do. And um, and I think the season has been going well. Still learning the system. It's a complex system, and I'm, but I feel like I've learned a lot. And our team is doing really well, so I can't complain. That is very true. the The last two results were uh, just unreal to watch. <laughs> was it a little bit crazy to be a part of those? Yeah, it was. It was crazy because we we know we know that when we step on the field, our chances of winning are high if we're if we're doing everything right because we train hard, we train hard, and we feel like we can we can beat anybody on a good day. So, I think that's very very fair. Uh, before yeah. I let you go, because this has been absolutely fantastic, I'm going to subject you to the lightning round. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Popcorn, yes or no? Yes. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Okay. Marvel or DC? Marvel. Super Mario or Sonic the Hedgehog? Super Mario. Your favorite team to play as in FIFA? 
In FIFA? Yeah. FC Barcelona. Uh, you know, little club. Not a lot of people know them. I think that's it's okay. <laughs> uh, and this last one, I'm calling it the Derek Etienne Award. Who is the worst dancer on the New York Red Bulls 2? Worst dancer? Yeah. Marcus Epps. <laughs> a new challenger. I'm very excited about that. <laughs> well, uh, Jean-Christophe, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. When we come back, we're going to be talking to a midfield partner, Chris Lima. So stick around. And we're back. This is a big show. We're on our second interview of this one. And this time we're joined by second-year Red Bulls midfielder Chris Lima. I say Lima, and now I'm wondering, a lot of people say Lemma. Yeah, it's, it's Lemma, but I'm just oh. Lima. <laughs> How did I get Jean-Christophe Kofi right, but I get Chris Lemma wrong? It's terrible. <laughs> yeah. The, the ones that seem easy always end up being the hardest, of, right? Of course. That's why it's Jared Strood, right? <laughs> no? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> uh this game this past weekend was kind of a nutty one. Uh, I was expecting, you know, maybe a high score just based on historical data. I was not expecting 8-1, and I certainly wasn't expecting four goals from Mr. Chris Lemma. Uh, you know, you've hit the post probably about 100 times this year. <laughs> so maybe <laughs> maybe you were due. Did you, did you have any thoughts running through your head as uh, the goals were going in? No, nothing, nothing in particular. I mean, I'm not... I'm not really used to to scoring two, three, four goals either. Maybe maybe a goal every once in a while. So, I mean, p- playing the ten, a, a lot of the guys have been saying like, "Oh, you've been playing the ten like a lot more recently." So, hopefully, you get a couple more goals. And I, I mean, they finally came, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I I was joking with Zach about that very thing. You know, if. If they could count every post you hit this year, you guys would easily be leading the league in goals. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> something that actually uh, John Wolnick was talking to me about. He's like, listen, you're hitting the post a lot, but in our in our eyes, that's, that's basically a goal, you know? Just just stay positive and keep keep trying, and, you know, eventually they'll go in. Yeah, I, I've wondered about how coaches approach that because, you know, you're getting shots that you're not missing by a whole lot, and... It, Obviously, you're doing the work to get yourself in good positions to have those. So it's interesting to hear that, you know, you guys are commenting on it uh, behind the scenes. Yeah. Uh, Talk about 2019 so far. The team obviously got off to a great start. There's been a little bit of inconsistency, but nothing terrible. You're still, you know, right up there in the top three pretty much every week. Did you kind of Mm -hmm. expect uh, heading into the season that it was going to be, you know, rocking and rolling the way that it is? Um, I thought I thought the team was going to be good. I mean, we got, we kept a good core, a good little core of guys, and the mentality going into preseason was was a good one. I mean, everybody from the trialists to the guys that were there already to the the first team guys that would come down, everybody was very determined. So we we knew we were gonna we were gonna do well. How well we weren't really sure, but I mean, the team started ticking and everything was going well. And I mean. Yeah, we had a little rough patch there, but we were we kept 
we kept on it and we kept telling ourselves every day in training we're like listen like things aren't going well but i mean they weren't going well for the first team and they seem positive and look look at where they are now so it's just uh, whether it's a red bull thing or or whatnot just you got to know that eventually it'll, it'll all work it'll all work it's what it's uh itself out especially with the with the system and the way we play it's it's so demanding that if we just stick to it, other teams just can't handle it. So I think it's just, it's just having faith in ourselves and, and our team and, and the system that we play. And one thing I've always thought about the system is that, you know, despite the fact that uh, so much of it is defined as a group sort of movement and, you know, how you guys press and how you, you transition to attack, it does put a premium on every individual performance so that if any guys make mistakes, they could be you know, catastrophic in some ways. Uh, and when you look at the team and the makeup of the team of all these young guys and guys who are developing, you know, you expect some of those breakdowns. So I, I never see it as a, a real negative when things start to go bad. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why we have, I mean, the, the coaching staff is really good with, uh, with getting film and video and, I mean, it's not it's not that they're like sing, singling out any player, but they they try to explain what we can do better in in every single situation. Every situation is different, so they just try to run ideas through your head. And then, <clears throat> aside from video, um, on the training field, they'll if like you make the same mistake again, they'll explain to you, they'll stop training, and then they'll bring the team in together and really really explain it. So, I mean, it's 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 literally like going to school. <laughs> They're teaching you on and on and off the field, and I mean, there's no better there's no better way to learn. Now, this past week, obviously, we talked about uh, that big win over Atlanta, but maybe the more important result was the one midweek against Bethlehem, three to one. You got 15 minutes left to go. Things are looking kind of bleak, uh, just in terms of that result, not in general. Uh, and then all of the sudden, everything started to click. And maybe coincidentally, that's around the weird incident with uh, Issa Ryan, uh, you know, throwing <laughs> up and then leaving the pitch. But it, it was sort of a weird match to take in. Uh, how was it uh, being part of that match? I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, you got to see the guys after we walked into the locker room. Everybody was really hyped up. But um, I mean, yeah, it's it's a it's a way to understand that that with with the style of play that we have, no game is ever is ever finished till the 90th minute, regardless if we're winning by by a few goals or we're losing. You know, since uh, we we demand so much in, in the attacking end and then demand so much in the defensive end, any game is is up for grabs. So, I mean, the guys the guys stayed positive, and I mean, we got the result that we needed. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, turning to sort of, I guess the the bigger picture. You look at a guy like Tom Barlow who came down in that match uh, from the first team. He obviously started off very strong this season, uh, sort of was promoted to the first team because uh, of need, because Bradley was down and uh, they were stretched kind of thin. And, mm-hmm. you know, overall, that could be something that can be seen as a big positive for, for your team, right? Because uh, guys can look at that and say, you know, if I do well and I succeed here, I can move up and, and get more playing time at a higher level. Uh, but maybe that can also be a distraction, right? Have you seen mm-hmm. it go either way? 
No, not really. I mean, at the end of the day, the, the goal is to be on the first team and and to make it into the MLS. But <clears throat> as a team ourselves, we, we just want to win. So we, we want to do anything possible so that we can win because at the end of the day, if you think about it, any of the guys that ended up making it onto the first team, they knew how to win. They 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 won when they were on the on the USL team. So for us, winning winning is number one, and also developing as a player. And then you have you just have to have faith and and belief that you will make it onto the first team as as long as everything goes well. The other thing I was looking at uh, ahead of the show this week. Uh, uh, again, the results have been fantastic, but now, uh, after this this coming uh, stretch of matches, most of the rest of the season is going to be on the road. And you know, you guys have done well for the most part on the road this season, but that's a really you know long stretch uh, through August and September uh, where you're going to have to go out and get those results against difficult competition. Is that something you guys are looking at at all right now? Uh, not as of right now. I mean, we're we're focusing on the next match against Memphis. But uh, I mean, yeah, it's something that you might have at the end, on the back of your mind. But that's nothing that we're too, that we're too worried about. I mean, as you mentioned, we we've been pretty good on the road, and I think we're we're really confident. Especially we're especially a lot more confident than we were last year on the road. That's for sure. Yeah. So hopefully we can uh, use that confidence in our favor and and get some more results. That is for sure. Before I let you go, I'm going to subject you to uh, a sort of um, B or Plan B <laughs> lightning round. Sound good? <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, if you were going to have your autobiography, what do you call it? Oh, um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Bend it like lemma. <laughs> I like that. That's good. Uh, <laughs> you can be credited with any work of art, a book, a movie, a painting. Uh, I guess even throw a video game in there. What What do you want to be your crowning achievement in the art world? Uh, a movie. Okay, what movie? Uh, a specific movie? Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> probably probably the, the goal movies. Okay. Since they're probably the most popular soccer ones. I like that. Santi Munoz, is that right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I've seen the first two. I never saw the third. Uh, Okay, you're on death row. What is your last meal? Oh, a double quarter pounder from McDonald's. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always so confused by some of these answers. This is your last meal ever. It's a double quarter pounder? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't get the luxury of eating that all the time. Oh, fair. All right, <laughs> it was fair a childhood enough. favorite. <laughs> <laughs> all right, fair enough. And the the last question I have for you, this is for the Derek Etienne Award, which you were in the running for, by the way. Uh, who is the worst dancer on the New York Red Bulls too? Oh, one hundred percent, Evan. Evan Laura. <laughs> Excellent. Very, very good. This is going to be a tight race. We, we're going to have a, uh, I think, a photo finish on this one. <laughs> Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you, and we wish you nothing but the best this weekend against Memphis. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me. And when we come back, we're going to preview that match, so stick around. Mm-hmm. 
and we're back. Two great interviews. You had some great game recaps at the beginning. Now we're going to preview this weekend's match against Memphis 901 FC. Memphis is not a strong team. They've really struggled this year. They've had a couple of wins. They did okay in the Open Cup there. They lost 2-0 last night to Nashville. And, you know, things are certainly not going according to plan for this team in their first season. We have a couple of familiar names in this squad. Guys like Scott Levine, uh, who we were big fans of. He was on this show last season. Red Bull's uh, goalkeeper then, of course. Dan Metzger, who everybody should know. Metzger, of course, German for butcher. Dan the Butcher Metzger. Perfect name for him because he is such a great physical presence in the midfield. Former Red Bull Academy uh, alumnus Adam Najem, brother of David, of course. Uh, And now, up top, on his uh, fifth or sixth team in the last couple of seasons, Brandon Allen plays for Memphis. A a familiar face that, that we all remember. Brandon, of course, he is the current leading scorer for the New York Red Bulls, too. I said that with a question, but I was running through those players in my head. Yes, he still owns that record. I believe it is 24 goals. If Tom Barlow can score four more, he will finally he will eclipse Allen's record. So that may not stand for much longer. This game is on Saturday. Memphis is on short rest. They're again, they're not a good team. In their last five, they are one, three, and one. Overall, three nine and five, one five and two at home. Another team like Beth Steele that just does not win much at home. They're they're in a bad way. The team that they beat over the last couple of games was Hartford. Uh, of course, that's not a huge victory. Hartford is also one of the weaker teams in the league. And before that, the last time they won was May tenth. So July sixth, May tenth are the last two wins this team has. Do you know which? the other team that they beat was um i'm gonna help you out here it was also hartford (laughs) 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 they don't have very many wins on the season uh in fact three of them in total they beat beth Steele way back in march 24th their next win was in may March, May, it's not a month that doesn't end in M, then they don't win, although that doesn't work for July. Uh, but look, they they struggle. I think the team defensively is not where they need it to be. A guy like Dan Metzger can only do so much in the midfield. Uh, it, it, it's just a poor lineup, and they've, they've struggled. They've struggled all season long, keeping the ball out of the net. They do not get very many clean sheets. One of the few they did have this season – Uh, came against Ottawa Fury. Even against Hartford, they couldn't keep them out. And, you know, when you can't keep the ball out of the net, it's going to make things more difficult for you. And it's at this point in the season, I think a lot of heads are starting to hang because things have just gone so poorly. Yeah, uh, it's it's interesting because I'm wondering if they can carry the the momentum from the road win against Beth Steele into this because that was their third, I believe their third road win on the year. I think the other one was Charlotte and uh, Atlanta 2 is the other one. Uh, So 
I wonder if they can carry that in. Uh, they they have they still have their struggles this year against better teams, but I think this is a game that John and the the staff and the team will look as a game that they have to win in order to keep pace with a lot of top teams because. Like you mentioned, Memphis hasn't been a good team this year. Yes, they do have some dangerous players. Uh, Adam Najem has has owned uh, Red Bulls too. As far as I believe he scored in the mat their their matchup earlier at Montclair State this year. Uh, and Brandon Allen, I you know he's he he's bounced from team to team, but he's still a pretty good goal scorer. And Dan Metzger is a good midfielder. But other than that, they really don't have much. I, I'm just wondering if this is a potential trap game before I believe they go I believe Tampa comes to town yep. next week. They they're back at home next week against Tampa. That is definitely gonna be a tough game. Uh yeah, so leading scorer for Memphis, five goals, Elliot Collier, then Dwayne Muckett to Mark Birch to and then a lot of other uh players, including Adam Najema who had a goal in that match. That's his only one of the season. Metzger has one, Allen has one. It's 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 definitely few and far between, and that's probably why they got a guy like Brandon Allen. Is they need somebody who can be reliable uh, in the final uh, third. But you know, you also have to be able to get him the ball, and they mm-hmm. haven't done a great job of, of of creating those chances this season. Yeah, and I will say the Red Bulls, the Red Bulls two's road road form has been much better than it has been in years past because I believe they didn't get their first road win until late in the season last year. So they already they've already tripled their their win total from last year uh, at this at this point in time. So I don't know. It's just it's tough because this is this is one of those games that you would you you would think with this team the way they're playing they should win, but I don't know. I, I'm part of me is wondering if they might look past this game and see that Tampa Bay game where that's a huge game coming up. And, you know, I, I know players say they don't look past games, but they're, I really think they're eyeing that Tampa Bay matchup because they, they want revenge for earlier in the season. I could see that. Um, just a quick little stat dump for you. Cameron Lindley for Memphis and Adam Najem are the two top uh, chance creators for them. 25 for Lindley and 21 key passes. Right, those right. two numbers together do not equal the top, even one of the top two uh, players for Red Bulls too. <laughs> Jared Stroud has fifty-three key passes this season, and Chris Lima has fifty. Jeez, those are crazy, crazy numbers. Yes, um, I mean, look, this team, Memphis has. <laughs> the seeing red curse is about to come out. Memphis has no reason they should win this game other than it being a trap game. And even with that, I think there's enough time in between that, that they'll be able to get a result. So let's get a prediction out of you, Joe. Oh man. Um, I'm going to say, hmm, I'm going to say a two Oh win for Red Bulls too. Okay. I, I think they'll keep a clean sheet. Uh, I, I, I think John and the coaching staff will have this team ready. I think they're riding too much momentum now, uh, as uh, coming off two really, one really good come from behind performance and one dominating performance. Uh, you know, you've touched on it. Memphis doesn't really have any, any goal scorers or any threats. Uh, there's just a part of me that's just wondering, you know, this is a type of game where they, they should win and they, they, they either draw it or they lose, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I'm predicting a win. 
Yeah, I'm going to be right there with you. I think they should win. Depending on what attackers go, it will depend on how confident I am that they score more than two goals. Mm-hmm. But just to just to be different, I'm going to say it's a 3-1 win. I think Memphis okay. will, will be able to pull one in, uh, probably through Brandon Allen, assisted by Adam Najem, <laughs> as the Red Bulls would be want to do. Although, you'd have to get Dan Metzger involved as well somehow. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll say 3-1. I think that's fair. Let's take a look at the standings real quick. That match next week looms large. Right now, Tampa Bay and New York Red Bulls, even on matches played with 19, Tampa Bay ahead by three points on the Red Bulls too. So if you look at some of those matches where they really laid an egg, um, or the two draws where they were up a man, I think they they loom pretty large in, in the grand scheme of things. Because they could be on top right now. Obviously, also the match in Tampa Bay. Uh, But so, Tampa Bay up top with 40 points. Then New York Red Bulls 2 at 37. Indy and North Carolina at 34, just underneath them. Then Nashville at 32. Louisville at 30. Louisville. Take that, Russ. Uh, Ottawa Fury, 29. Pittsburgh Riverhounds, 26. Charleston Battery, 23. And Charlotte Independence on 23. I'm only doing the top 10 this week, guys. St. Louis fell out of it. Let's just put it that way. Charlotte's got a little bit of a revival going on. Good for them. Yeah. I'd like yeah, to see that. The teams that fell out of playoff position this week, though, it's it's kind of sad for both Beth Steele and St. Louis uh, fell below the line. Both teams started off kind of well this year. A little sad to see. Uh, out West, Phoenix rising, still rocking and rolling. They're 11-2-5 right now. Uh, I don't remember the last time that they didn't get maximum points. It's been a while. It's. I think it's. I think it's. Uh, but nine games in a row. Nine. That sounds right. Yeah, I'll give yeah. it to you. May fourth is the last time they lost a match. Yeah, nine, nine in a row. Yeah. They did not like Star Wars Day. Um, <laughs> so they're up top with thirty-eight points. Then Reno, who's also red hot right now, and Fresno are right behind them with thirty-five and thirty-four points. Austin Bold all the way up into fourth place right now. Uh, if you remember. At the beginning of the season, Las Vegas made a proclamation that they would win uh, their match against Austin Bold. That didn't happen, and now Austin sitting well ahead of them in the standings. Portland Timbers at 28 points, same as El Paso Locomotive. Real Monarchs, SLC, 27. Sac Republic, 26. New Mexico United, wow, have they fallen, 26 points. And then OKC Energy at 26, just underneath them. I guess the most notable teams under the line right now san antonio who's been great the last couple seasons and orange county who's really having a tough year uh yeah not not too much else to say about that the i uh, mean oh good i I mean eight through 14 is separated by four points so i mean it's pretty nuts out west that's yeah it's it's crazy it's the wild west it's crazy it's the wild west where they all know how to attack and very few of them (laughs) know how to defend um the last thing I want to talk about tonight, uh, Sam Stachel, uh put out an article for The Athletic about a, uh, a couple of sources are saying that USL is going to drop MLS-owned teams from second tier to third tier by 2021. Uh, we know a lot of these teams, Atlanta United, uh, Loudoun, LA Galaxy 2, Red Bulls 2, Beth Steele, Portland Timbers 2, Real Monarchs, Tacoma Defiance, and Swope Park Rangers. Right? There's a couple others in there. Uh, 
that have already gone down. But those nine teams, really only two and a half of them seem to be <laughs> taking USL seriously. But you know what? I'll, I'll say three because uh, Beth Steele uh, is absolutely going all in uh, every year. So True. you've got Real Salt Lake, Red Bulls, Beth Steele, who, yes, they're going in. They're not necessarily getting... Um, the results that they want and Portland Timbers. Those four teams have done really well in terms of sporting over the last uh, two seasons. The Red Bulls a little bit longer than that. The rest of the teams seem to be phoning it in. They're they're having trouble getting people through the the turnstiles, which you know we're not um, we're not surprised about with our own situation in Montclair. That is. Uh, but they're also having trouble on the field, and I think it's starting to drive some of the independent teams wild that maybe they're not taking it very seriously. That makes games against them feel less important. It's also hard to game plan against these teams because of the shifting uh, landscape of their roster that, that happens to accommodate MLS loan downs and, and other sort of uh, uh, issues like that. And... You know, the independent teams are really marketing their uh, team and, and looking to, to push uh, attendance numbers week in and week out, and these other teams are not doing their job. So in this article, well, I'll, first I want to get your thoughts about that before I go into anything else. I can I can see a lot of these teams' points uh, because I, I do think of the, of the teams you mentioned, uh, I think Red Bulls too. Uh, I mean – Best deal really doesn't draw. I mean, but that's not really, I mean, that's not, I, I think they go all in every year. I think Real Monarchs is another team that uh, does a good job. And I think Portland too is too, but Red Bulls too. I mean, I mean, they've also been one of the most successful teams in the league. So I don't get how you can move a team that con- can, you know, constantly is in the playoffs or, you know, makes the Eastern conference finals. They've made the fight, you know, they made the finals. They won the USL cup. I don't. I don't get how you can move a team down like that and expect them to not win every single game. Right. Uh, and I mean, I, I understand a lot of these teams' point with you know loaning down players and you know it's an unfair advantage. It, it, you know, it's a little bit of an unfair advantage, and a lot of these teams are trying to grow their brand and you know you know help help you help USL Championship be able to grow and you know be that be that you know that second tier league to MLS. So I understand where a lot of these teams are coming from, but I think the teams that actually take it seriously and constantly put a good product out and and have success, I don't think they should be moved down. Yeah, that that's a big part of it. I think on the sporting side, it's it's a real slap in the face because it's not like the Red Bulls too uh, specifically are not putting in a lot of time and effort into this league. All of the teams that we've seen come out and play for Red Bull 2, the coaches, the entire organization takes it very seriously. You wouldn't see them in three straight uh, you know, Eastern Conference finals if they didn't care a little bit about <laughs> this team and this <laughs> league. And the other part of it is, you know, to stay as a Division 2 uh, side, they had to do up to, they had to uh, put updates in place at MSU to accommodate the size and have locker room and all this stuff. And they put significant resources into that as well. And so it certainly seems like it would be a little bit of a slap in the face for them to put the resources in the way that they did and then have nothing uh, to, to show for it and and be forced down 
So that that's certainly an issue. Um, and, you know, in the story, they talk about one team in particular is really fighting this. And I doesn't, can imagine who it is. It doesn't want to be, uh, yeah, per- shifted down. Can't imagine what team that would be. <laughs> Every- yeah, and I and I mean it, it's it's not like that. Red Bulls too loan like they loan down players every week to in order. To, I think the only consistent player that's been loaned down this week is uh, this year has been Jorgensen. Uh, and 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 if anything, it's it's they they're loaned down and they play maybe one or two games to get up to speed before they rejoin the first team. This isn't this isn't a consistent thing. I don't even think last year for the most of the year they. They had players loaned down. They had guys on MLS contracts that were loaned down for the year, but they they it's not it's not like they're loaning some of their best players down to beat these teams. It's not the case, right? We saw a couple of times that like Gonzalo Verón was loaned down to Red Bull too, but that was really a spot start situation, and it's not like he tore up uh, USL either. Um, the other issue to to look at here is. USL was kind of a floundering, struggling league for a little while there, and their plan became let's expand very quickly in as many markets as we can. And the first teams to jump on that and help grow the league were MLS two sides. And some of them obviously are not still around, uh, but they certainly feel like they put a a big stake in growing the league. And it, it seems like a real uh, slap in the face to then uh, get pushed out. So the actual quote uh, in this uh, about the MLS club was uh, one MLS club source saying there's no way we'd acquiesce to a move from the championship to <laughs> league one after years of investment in USL. And yeah, I can't blame them there. What What are your thoughts uh, listeners? What do you guys think about this? Should USL teams force MLS two teams down. Is that somehow hurting the USL brand carrying these teams that uh, aren't necessarily getting fans in in seats? And how do you fix that? If you're an MLS two team, if that's the stipulation is that you have to have an attendance requirement, which that's insane. Yeah. (laughs) I I can't see them being able to actually enforce that. Um, Oh man. Well, you have to get more people to come to the games then. Yeah. So how do you do that as an MLS side? I, I'm, I'm interested in hearing from, from you listeners. What do you guys think? And with that, that brings us to the end of another episode of Raising Bulls. You can find us on Twitter at underscore Joe Goldstein. I am at jsteen15. And if you'd like to follow the show, and we hope you do, we are at Raising Bull Cast. That's one bull, Raising Bull Cast. And, of course, that's all on Twitter. You can also follow our work at the Red Bulls News Network, rbnn.us. Only a couple of letters. You guys can do it. I know you can. (laughs) You can follow my work, Joe's work, and many more. Bill's uh, photography is up there on a weekly basis. It's good stuff. Oh, and we're on Twitter at rbnewsnetwork. Uh, you can find us at facebook.com slash raising bulls. You can go to raisingbulls.com where we put all of our episodes. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Find us, rate us, review us. It helps and it matters. Please, please save us. <laughs> we're not in danger. We're okay. Um, <laughs> uh, if we're not on the, the podcast 
network or, or streamer or aggregator that you are partial to, let us know and we'll figure out a way to get up there. We're part of the beautiful game network at bgn.fm covering MLS, USL, Premier League, NWSL. They've got so many great shows. Sock Takes, the other football podcast, 901 Soccer Pod, Speedway Soccer, the Curse Cast, Six Point Weekend, Off the Pitch, Orange and Black Soccer Cast, Rising is One, and so much more. They've got a ton of great uh, podcasts for the USL. They've got a lot of great written content. Head over there at bgn.fm. That's the beautiful game network at bgn.fm. Last but not, or no, not last but not least, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Golden Goal Press, the best choice for you to get custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items for just yourself or your organization. Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price of other places at goldengoldpress.com. And of course, last but not least, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. For myself, Joe Steen, Jean-Christophe Kofi, and Chris Lemma, not Lima, Lemma, <laughs> thank you very much and have a great night. <laughs>